0: Good morning, my name is Daryl DeGraff. Um, Some of you probably know me because you've been in my Sunday school classes, Um, uh, um, but a lot of you I probably don't know, so I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, But we could still get introduced, (laughs) so you can come to me or hopefully I'll meet you sometime and get to know you since uh, we're brothers and sisters here. this morning we'll be looking at <laughs> Hebrews uh, 10 verses 1 through 18, but we're not going to start there. We're going to start in Leviticus. So if you'll turn to Leviticus chapter 4 and um, we'll start reading there. But while you're making your way there, I'll make a few comments. Uh, first of all, just to remind you of how we've gotten to where we are in uh, um, Hebrews, the essential issue is Christ's superiority superiority to prophets, to angels, to Moses, to the Levitical priests, um, to um, the, or he, he's a mediator of a better covenant, um, and he has entered a greater tabernacle. Today we come to sort of the, I hate to say pinnacle because all of those things were, um, but sort of the pinnacle of uh, his um, ministry, and that's his sacrifice and the shedding of his own blood for us. Uh, So that's where uh, we're driving at today. He will also talk about in Hebrews uh, chapter 10, in fact, he's talked about it numerous times already, um, perfection. Perfection as it's used in uh, Hebrews, um, at least in chapter 10, has to do with um, sort of completely putting away um, the remembrance of sin. The idea, of course, with perfection is that you come to a consummation or an ending. And that's all wrapped up in that idea of sin being put away. Um, but the problem is, is that for um, one who wants to draw near to God uh, is the idea of wanting that put away to never have to deal with sin again. And I think, uh, well, I hope, <laughs> all of us would like to be done with sin in our own hearts and minds, and in our bodies as well. Um, So anyway, um, that's what we'll come to today. Also in um, chapter 10, because I'll probably forget to um, enumerate these for you when we get there, but um, the main issue in the verses we'll be looking at has to do with the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus. So that contrast, To the continual offerings and ineffectual offerings uh, for permanent forgiveness um, of the Levitical priesthood, and how their sacrifices can never end. It's impossible for those sacrifices um, to give a forgiveness, a lasting forgiveness, or as um, one author writes, a decisive purgation. It sounds fancy, doesn't it? It just means, you know, that for sure you're forgiven um, and gotten rid of sin. Um, so these words, just mark these. Never, continually, every year, ceased, once, no longer, impossible, daily, repeatedly, for all time, single, no more. You just catch those as we go through the passage. I'm not going to write them down for you or post them up there or anything like that. Um, So, I'd like to start in Leviticus, as I said, and the reason we're going to look at this is because it's what lies behind uh, the issue that we start out reading in chapter 10 of Hebrews. Although some would say that what you read in those opening verses of Hebrews um, chapter 10 relate to the Day of Atonement, Um, if you read further on in in the chapter down to verses 11 through 14, You find that the Levitical priests are doing the same thing, essentially, and you have the same issue with what they're doing as you would on the Day of Atonement. Um, So, I would like to start in chapter 4 of Leviticus and read there uh, through verse 31. If any one of the common people, and that's why I chose this, because that's you and me, we're not um, leaders of the congregation or of of the people as the first section in chapter 4 talks about, or um, the whole congregation, well, we are the whole congregation, I guess, but, and um, others, the leaders in, in 22, etc. Uh, but this is for the common people. And really, all of these issues that he talks about in chapter 4 through 5, these are um, basically all the same. You'll read it like six or seven times, and they're basically all the same um, except for who they're addressing. Um, so they'll come and they'll give an offering and um, a, a couple of other things that we'll enumerate after we're done reading it. So if any one of the common people sins unintentionally in doing any one of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not be done and realizes his guilt or the sin which he has committed is made known to him. So the, this type of sin that we're talking about is sins that you do unwittingly Or unconsciously, you don't realize that you're doing it. Um, Sins that are committed on purpose are like a whole nether level of things. But this is a thing that basically the writer of Hebrews 10 is is speaking of. Um, If it becomes known to him, he shall bring for his offering a goat, a female without blemish, for his sin which he has committed. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering And kill the sin offering in the place of burnt offering. And the priest shall take some of of its blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out all the rest of its blood at the base of the altar. And all its fat he shall remove as the fat is removed from the peace offerings and the priest shall burn it on the altar for a pleasing aroma to God, excuse me, to the Lord. And the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be forgiven. Now, just for a moment, stop and think about what's been said here. The person desires to be forgiven by the Lord. So they bring their sacrifice, and it's offered. The person has to lay their hands on it, slice its throat. They catch the blood. They you know, put a little on the altar, and they throw the rest of it against the altar, and then they burn the rest of the animal. Um, How many sins are taken care of by this offering? One. One sin, that's all. Just one. What impression do you have of the person being able to draw near to God now or draw nearer to Him? Does he get to go into the tent? Does he get to go into the um, Holy of Holies? You know, where where does he stand with that? In fact, ask yourself, how is he different now that he's given this offering? What difference does it make to him inside, not just outside? I'll let those things sort of hang there for you uh, to think about. Um, Notice that it says that, you know, atonement was made and that, you know, forgiveness was declared but how far does it go? Okay, so now to Hebrews 10. The first two verses are basically what we just read in Leviticus. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are offered continually every year Make perfect those who draw near, otherwise they would would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin so the issue here is you have a person who wants to draw near, bring an offering of uh, you know for cleanliness um, to the to the priest and um, and he does it like every day, every month, every year, um, constantly bringing them. These same sacrifices are offered constantly. But the question is, do they make the offerer perfect? Do they? Well, if, if by that you mean I have no more recognition of sin, uh, yeah, but if, it, if it's not that, then definitely not. not. Not cleansed at all. Not made perfect. Uh, I don't feel like I can draw closer to God. I still know that when I walk out of here, I'm probably going to do the same thing or something like it again. Why? Why not changed inside? Not changed inside. Same as before. I like this verse, too, because it asks a question that probably everybody should have been thinking about, but probably not many have. Listen to what he says. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? That's a really good question, isn't it? You know, what do they think about these sacrifices when they take them to be offered? Do they think, well, this isn't going to do any good. Why in the world am I doing this? You know, how come I have to keep doing it? If it was actually cleaning me, I wouldn't have to do it anymore. But I do have to because it doesn't effectually clean me. That's the shortcoming of the Levitical priesthood and its offerings. They can't clean you permanently. So you have this constant nagging, am I going to sin again? And when am I going to do it, and what am I going to offer, and all of that stuff. So we come then to verses three and four, and verses three and four talk about sin and atonement in um what's the word that I'm looking for um, uh, very uh, concrete uh, not concrete. Let me find the right words because I wrote them down so I wouldn't forget them. Um, Categorical, that's the one, categorical, categorical assu- are, uh, statements. Uh, notice how there's not a question here at all. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. So just think about it. When they go to offer their uh, offering because they've sinned, and they don't necessarily feel completely cleansed, they have a remembrance of sin, but... The Levitical um, offerings are doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing, aren't they? They're bringing it to remembrance. So in that sense, they are being perfected. They're perfectly remembering that they're sinful people and they need forgiveness. Um, But it should do more and cause them to long for a sacrifice that will make them clean, that will take away the consciousness sin that will change them in their heart and in their mind. Second of all, in verse 4, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So categorically, it's never doing any good in the end to offer the blood of bulls and goats. But there's one thing in there that's important to realize, that Blood is okay, just not the blood of bulls and goats. So we're looking for a different blood for forgiveness, permanent forgiveness, decisive purgation, decisive forgiveness. Okay, um, we come then to uh, verses 5 through 7. I feel like I'm racing through this here. Eh, maybe. Okay. Okay. Verses 5 through 7 come from uh, Psalm 90, uh, excuse me, from the Septuagint. And in what in the Septuagint is Psalm 39, but for us is um, Psalm 40 in our Old Testaments. Um, So it's cited from there, but the writer of Hebrews has changed it a little bit. He substituted um, a couple of words. First of all, um, and we'll read this momentarily. Well, let's read it first. Consequently, verse 5, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Okay, so as I said, you know this is a quote from the Septuagint, um, but the um, writer of Hebrews has made a couple of adjustments. First of all, in the Septuagint, uh, the word that we have we have the word translated here as body, but there it's actually ears. So you got to ask yourself, well, why would he change it from ears to body? Well, one possibility is they read it and they thought, well, the ear is part of the body, so what he's looking at is maybe the whole thing. So the ear is one part that stands for the whole. And that's a possibility. But I think there's a deeper reason that that might be, and that's because what gets sacrificed? What part of the animal gets sacrificed? The body. The whole thing, not just an ear or a hoof or the tail, the whole thing <clears throat> second of all um, he's uh, changed one of the words from um, uh, approve or uh, um, approve or take pleasure and changed it to um uh, uh, desired and asked a couple of different words that were not used in uh, the Septuagint. So now it's approve or take pleasure, whereas in the Septuagint it was asked. And finally, he's rearranged the last line. So if you were reading along when I read that, you are like, hey, wait, I got lost in verse 7 um, because it probably reads something like, then I said, behold, I have come. And then there's like a parenthetical statement that says it's written of me in the scroll of the book or maybe it's just comma separated or something like that um, to do your will, oh my God, or something like that. So the, um, that's been changed around, but not by our writer, but it's by our translators if you're using the ESV. If you're using something else, then it's got um, the reading that I just mentioned. Uh, okay, so looking at these verses, especially right now, verses five and six. Um, I made a mistake of telling my wife that I sort of viewed this as a Jesus sandwich. Um, And maybe that will help you remember it, the difference here. So in the first line, you have sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. And in the third line, which is verse 6, in burnt uh, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. So that's like the bread. But in the center... There's a different thing. And that is, but a body you have prepared for me. So we've got these two negative statements of you don't desire these, or you don't um, take pleasure in them. And then in the middle, uh, there's a positive one, but this is what you yourself, God, have done. Um, uh, So let's just look at the details of that a little bit. and mostly what I'm gonna do is just um, read a thought on it from my notes and then I'm gonna wait for a moment so you have a, a time to just consider really, really fast um, what this might mean. First of all, note in both verse uh, five and verse seven that the words are spoken by a human being, okay, by a person. Um, when Christ came into the world, He said, in verse 5, and then again in verse 7, then I said. So you have a real honest-to-goodness person speaking these words. Structurally, we've got these offerings and there's a large group of them, sacrifices, offerings, burnt offerings, sin offerings, and they surround this body um, that, because they're sandwiched between, suggests this body could be a sacrifice. This human body could be a sacrifice. It falls into the class of things that you could call sacrifice. Thirdly, note the plurals in singular. I think this is important for the remainder of this chapter. Sacrifices, offerings, burnt offerings, sin offerings. All plural. But of the body, how many? Just one. Now I say, well, yes, but it's important <laughs> that there's just one. Because this one body will be a sacrifice once for all, not to be repeated. Uh, th- this next several things. Um, <laughs> I-, I was working through this on, on Wednesday and I ended up crying like a baby. I was like, what in the world is going on here? But um, if you stop and just pause and think about these things as we go through them, they're they're... They're striking. So listen carefully here now. This body was specifically made for this purpose, for sacrifice. See, it says it was prepared, specifically made for this purpose. This body was specifically made by God For the one who's speaking, notice again, but a body you prepared for me. And as uh, it's introduced in verse 5, that's Christ. Now, really carefully. The speaker is fully aware that this body Was specifically made for him as a sacrifice. Do you see that? And unlike those sacrifices, it's at least implied that it will delight and give pleasure to God. This sacrificial body, so that it can be the perfect sacrifice and satisfying sacrifice for sin. Because those other sacrifices, they don't satisfy him, they don't bring him pleasure. This body will. All of that is reinforced by two witnesses, um, so to speak. Uh, The first is the speaker himself. (laughs) Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. So you read this. He has full understanding that this is what's going to happen. He will be a sacrifice. But what's his attitude about it? Here I am. I've come to do your will. I want to do what you, Lord, want. That's the way people should always have been. <laughs> you know, but of course the fall changed all of that. To do what God wants. Um, so we have the witness of, of the speaker here. here. And um, the... Well, I'll talk about the word will after a little while here. Um, And then the second witness is that it says, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So um, no one knows what book it's talking about. Nobody knows what scroll it's talking about. Likely, it's the whole of the Old Testament um, because if you've been tracking with Hebrews, it's all over the place, right? (laughs) Right. So, so it it's, would not be a surprise just to say the whole of the Old Testament. Um, I'd go a step further and say it's the testimony of the Holy Spirit because he's the one who guides the recording of the scriptures. So if I can take one more step, I hope not too far, we have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in unity preparing for the Son to go into the world to die for the sins of men. I use that generically. Um, So I ask myself, is this really an undertaking of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, you know, united in their thinking? And then can I go just a little bit further? (laughs) And hopefully I'm not, um, you know, going into the deep waters here. So I ask myself, is it possible to say that what we are reading in these several verses here um, have been the plan of God all along? And I don't mean, you know, just at, you know, like when Adam sinned or something like that, but even before Adam sinned or even before Genesis 1. Now, how can I say that? Well, I say that because if you're a believer, you were chosen before the foundations of the world, right? Ephesians 1. So that would have all had to go into God's plan. And this is part of that. So from eternity, I think, this has been planned. Um, but you can throw that away if you want. It's okay with me. Now to uh, to Psalm 40, I just want to point out a couple of additional things in this psalm that aren't recorded for us here, <clears throat> and I forgot to do half of it when I'm in the first hour, so hopefully I won't forget this time. <laughs> okay, so Psalm 40. Um, it has an inscription at the top of it that says, to the choir master, a psalm of David. So the first question that comes to me when I look at that is I go, so what David is he speaking of? And probably everybody goes, well, you know, King David, right? Well, that's possible, but there's another David, and that's the Messiah. And he'll rule on the throne of his father, David. So he's referred to as as a David, And when I read this psalm, if you read the whole of it, maybe you can do that this afternoon if you like, except for verse 12, I can hear every one of these words coming from the mouth of the Messiah. Um, 12, probably not, because it says, for evils have encompassed me beyond measure. My iniquities have overtaken me. Um, unless it's the iniquities that are being poured out on him. Uh, when he hangs on the cross, Um, but uh, anyway, so um, I I think this could easily be a a psalm that speaks completely to the Messiah, but if it's just David, that's okay. Uh, Verse six uh, is what we're quoting from in um, Hebrews 10. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Whoa, what's this? It said in the Septuagint, it said ears. And here it says ears. But again, body um, in uh, uh, Hebrews. So what's the importance of using the word ear here? You know, when you're making a body, the ear is just like, you know, one part. And it's not very big compared to all the rest. But if you stop and think for a moment, The ear, at least in the Old Testament, is the vehicle by which the Word of God comes to a person to affect their heart and their mind. So, the Word of God becomes internalized through the ear to be worked out by obeying it or doing it. So that's why you can read things like in in Deuteronomy. Hear this, and then do this. Because that's what your ears do. They hear, and they should cause you to obey. And remember what our speaker is doing in Hebrews. So skipping down to verse uh, 7. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Interestingly, at the opening part of that, um, a little stanza there in verse 6, in sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted. But now in verse 8, this is what I delight, and that's to do the thing that you want. Um, And then second of all, to do your will, to do the thing that you want. Now, just remember what that entails here. It entails going to the cross and dying, being spit on, beaten up. All of those things are entailed in that. But he's doing it. Why? Because it's what will please God in the end and provide an acceptable sacrifice. And why does he do all that? And that's the end of verse 8, and especially what I wanted to capture from this um, uh, citation in Hebrews is, your law is within my heart. So listen to what's happened. He's heard, and he's taken the word in, and it's changing the way he is, so to speak. That, that could never be the case with Christ, of course, but his, you know, God's word is in his heart, and that's uh, he, what he's willing to do because it's what God wants. Okay, back to Hebrews then. Now in verse 8 and 9 and 10, um, the the author doesn't leave us to wonder why in the world he uh, quoted these verses. He actually exegetes the passage for us. Take particular note here of uh, verse 8 and what he's done with verses uh, five and six he's com- he's like piled all the pieces together so at the beginning of the verse when he said above you have neither desired nor uh, taken pleasure in that's the two verbs from those negative portions right in the um, first part in verse five and then the second part in verse six And then he takes all the objects, that is, the sacrifices, the offerings, the burnt offerings, the sin offerings, and puts them afterward. So you get this pile up of terms. I have not, uh, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. So there's a multiplicity of offerings that God is not satisfied with. But here's the point of writing it that way. These are the things that the law requires. So that's what he said. These are offered according to the law. This is what is required by it. But remember, it's not doing any good for you in the long run because it's for but a moment. It's not effective. Then he added in verse 9, Behold, I have come to do your will. So we've got the two contrasts, these ineffective Uh, sacrifices and the one who delights to do the will of God and comes to do it, knowing that it means his death. So then, verse 10, And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So what has... uh, I skipped a verse, didn't I? Yes, I did. Sorry. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. So the first has to do with those sacrifices that don't bring uh, pleasure to God. The second is the establishment of the will of God. That's what he's speaking of in the um, last half then of verse 9. But... What he talks about in verse 10 then is that by that will, the thing that pleases God, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That's the thing that has made God um, satisfied with an offering. Not these other things, but the sacrifice of Jesus. And notice that uh, he states it categorically. It's once for all. There will be no other offering of Jesus. In fact, it was interesting back in the previous chapter toward the end uh, that it says that Christ didn't come into the world uh, to offer himself repeatedly as a high priest who enters the holy places, but just for the once. Now, what happens with that is that it um, invokes the provisions of the new covenant. And you may remember that from chapter 8 and chapter 9. We won't read that again, but hopefully you remember. Um, and when he was talking about the, old, the uh, new covenant in chapter 9, and this is in verses 15 and following, what he said was, um, where there's a will, um, then you have to wait until the person who made the will dies. So there's a sort of play on words here that Jesus has come to do the will of the Father, But there's also a will that's going to come into effect because the person who made the the covenant has died. And that's what will come in the succeeding verses. So, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now, this section is, is putting up a contrast again, and we've heard it numerous times. But just to reinforce it again, there is, uh, regarding the, um, the priestly sacrifices, The priests are standing, they're repeating their sacrifices, they never take away sins, and most importantly, they're just a copy of the reality. Um, But on the other hand, we have Christ, who's sitting at the right hand of God, sitting now, not standing, once for all time has sacrificed, not to be repeated, a single effective sacrifice for sins. And now he sits next to God awaiting for his kingdom so he can take up the rule of his father, uh, David, over all things. And again, he says in verse 14, uh, similar to what's said in, in verse 10, and by that will we have been sanctified, that is, made ready for the presence of God and service to him. Because this, this is a, a word that has to do with, with um, uh um, religious um, uh, service. It's that kind of word. And repeated in verse 14, not as a separate idea, but a restatement of the same thing of verse 10. Now, when we come to verse 15, um, the, we get a witness to this um, by the Holy Spirit. And um, this comes also from uh, uh, the New Covenant, Jeremiah 31. And we have the whole of the New Covenant listed for us in chapter 8. So you can read that again. But he picks out just two things to especially focus on here in chapter 10. Um, So listen carefully to what he says. Um, Verse 15, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. Um, Just to stop for a moment. That verb, the Holy Spirit bears witness, is present tense. What that means is that he's speaking to these listeners at that time. Okay, when, when he's writing to them and they're receiving the letter. But it means more than that. It means he's speaking to you and to me Right now. So, let us have ears to hear uh, what he has to say. So, he's bearing witness to us. For after he said, and then he'll go on to say, and then he adds, um, and then he'll draw a conclusion. But let's um, take it in the order that it comes, because like I said, he's picked out two provisions of the uh, new covenant uh, to draw our thoughts to. After saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, and for them, the original writing, it was for, the, um, for them coming out of captivity. For them here, it, it doesn't refer to anything like that. It's just a covenant that he's made with them. So the author has made a substitution from saying Israel to saying you all he's widened the scope of the new testament or excuse me the new covenant Um, so um, this is the covenant that i will make with them after those days declare the lord i will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds did you hear that anyplace else oh yeah (laughs) we heard that back in 40 didn't we uh psalm 40 there it was uh the laws written on hearts and minds. What is the point of writing the law on people's hearts and minds so that we internalize the, the truths that God wants us to know so that we can live and serve Him? Um, I'm probably going to step into deep waters here, uh, but I'll do it anyway. Um, I think this sort of statement falls into the class of things that um, you could read in, um, for example, Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, about having a circumcised heart. But God is the one who will circumcise their heart. Um, In Jeremiah, he'll talk about a whole heart. Um, In Ezekiel, a new heart or a new spirit. Um, Romans, he talks about Dead to sin, dead to the old man, getting closer to home. A new creation in 2 Corinthians and in Galatians. These are all talking about how we are essentially recreated by God to be able to do his will. So that's the first thing. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Uh, And, you know, that's the one that basically motivated the whole section that we've been reading here. Because remember back in verse 1 and 2, the offerer draws near near to God with his sacrifice. But he goes away, well, when am I going to be doing this again? Have I drawn nearer to God? Um, You know, I have no permanent... Forgiveness, because I know I'm going to be back soon. And I know that when I walk out, um, the same thing's going to happen again because I was no different inside. Um, so these two ideas in verse 16 and verse 17 really go together. I will remember their sin and their lawless deeds no more. Now you can understand their sins like we read about in Leviticus. Lawless deeds are sort of a different category of things, aren't they? Those are things where you say, I know that's wrong. Not like what we read in Leviticus. But I know that's wrong. I'm going to do it anyway, because I don't care. You know, it's sort of like Adam in the garden. <laughs> you know, are you going to listen to what God says? No, he, I can know what's good and bad. I'll, you know, he can too, but I will. So it's the same sort of idea. It's a willful disobedience. And, um, but God has taken those under the blood of Jesus and discards them from east to west, depths of the sea, or he has forgiven them and um, they are no more and therefore there's no more sacrifice for them. So that the author summarizes, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So how much stuff did the blood of Jesus cover? Everything. Everything. How often is he going to do it? Just once, and it's done already. Do you have to dwell on sin that you did years ago? Uh Uh-uh. God's cast it away. You fall under the provisions of the new covenant, right? Right? You have God's word in your heart and in your mind. Do we have a good reason to sin? <laughs> like there ever was? We don't. Because we have his law in our hearts and in our minds.